Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who has been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Tiffany Gay, a Philadelphia entrepreneur, mindset coach, and public speaker. Several years ago, she experienced severe depression and anxiety, but through prayer, a shift in her mindset, and identifying her why, she was able to survive through her mental health breakdown. She regained everything back that she lost, including her mind, and now she helps others shift their mindset and find the root cause of their struggles. Her mission is to serve, support, coach, and mentor individuals with shifting their self-defeating, unfulfilling, unproductive, and unhealthy patterns of thinking. Welcome to Safe Home, Tiffany. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your story. Let's start with your childhood. Did you grow up in Philadelphia? What was your childhood like? I did. Yeah, so I grew up in Philadelphia. I grew up in a household with both parents. I had five brothers and three sisters. So oh my gosh. I very Yes, a very crowded household in addition to cats and dogs and fish and rabbits. Oh my yes. gosh. <laughs> eight kids. Wow. Where are you in the birth order? I'm number six. Six out of eight. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm number six. And the cool thing is uh, one of my sisters, so she's number five, I'm number six, but we're Irish twins. And what that means is that we were born in the same year. We have the same mother, same father. They got pregnant, had my sister in January. A month later, got pregnant with me Ooh. and had me in December of the same year. So we are Irish wow. twins. Irish twins. <laughs> yeah. We didn't find that out until we were in the eighth grade that we were Irish twins. Wow. I've never heard that before. That's funny. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Do you, Are you really close to that sister because you're so close in age? Yep, we are. We're very close. Although I'm in Philadelphia, she moved to North Carolina maybe about 15 years ago. But we still talk all the time. She plays an instrumental role in my business. She's actually uh, part of my dream team is what I call my team, my dream team. So she's part of my dream team. So yes, we're extremely close. Nice. Very, very good. So it sounds like you had a a lovely childhood. Doesn't sound like anything traumatic happened or anything. Yeah, you know, so overall, it was a good childhood. Now, you know, there were some things to my father growing up in a house with him. And I didn't learn this until I was maybe a freshman in college. He, well, I knew that he was in the war. He did two tours in Vietnam oh, wow. and his role was a sniper. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So growing up, some of the behaviors I witnessed of isolation, sporadic mood swings, mm-hmm. withdrawal, I didn't understand it. And so it wasn't until I was in college when my father checked himself into the VA hospital, I got more information and started to learn about post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. PTSD, depression, and bipolar. So those were some of the biggest things that I saw growing up in a household with, you know, being in a war. And we hear so often that veterans come home and they don't have that support that they need. Especially the Vietnam vets. Mm. Yeah. Or they're ashamed or embarrassed to ask for support and let alone being a man. So Mm. I've I've witnessed a lot um, of his trauma and and the outcome of his trauma growing up. Wow. Is he doing better now? Is he okay? Well, unfortunately, he's deceased. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he passed away in 2009, uh, which was a hard time. I had my daughter, she's now 12, and she was born in September of 2009, and my father passed away in November 2009. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. Thanks. It sounds like he, he took care of himself and, and got the help he needed. So that's really good. Yeah. And, you know, I really respect and admire that. And it really showed me that the res his resiliency, you know, to even be removed from the Vietnam for so long, but still decided I need help, you know, yeah. and went and sought help at the VA hospital. That was a very impressive. Yeah. Commendable. Good. Now you struggled with anxiety and depression. Are you the only one in your family that's had this that you know of, or has several of your siblings or? Yeah, very good question. So our father was the first one that we knew about that was clinically diagnosed with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then I have my youngest sister. She actually served in Afghanistan oh. and, and she is currently a major in the army. Wow. Yeah. So she also is suffers from depression, anxiety, and a sleep disorder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have another sister who also, I don't think she's been clinically diagnosed, but I think from hearing what the family and seeing what the family has gone through and other people, she's identified with depression as well. Okay. Okay. Do you uh, want to talk about what you think caused your anxiety and depression? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it kind of started suddenly for you or... Was it a slow build? Yeah, it was suddenly. And I'll tell you, so back in my depression, my severe depression and anxiety started back in 2015, 2016. And it was a result of what I call unfamiliar simultaneous lack, right? And so growing up, although I experienced and witnessed what I witnessed with my father, you know, I still did well in school. I was able to socialize, had a good job, went to college had my daughter in my late 20s, was engaged. Everything was wonderful and stable until it wasn't wonderful uh. and stable. And suddenly I went from two incomes to one income to no income. Uh -oh. And it happened very suddenly. And it was unfamiliar because Again, I'm used to things being in order. I'm used to things being stable. I'm used to being on top and handling things. You know, I was and still am the person that people would seek out for, you know, financial support, emotional support, all of the things of that sort. And so then when I was faced with a situation where I literally had zero dollars in my bank account, that kind of started a ripple, a domino effect of me not being able to take care of the basic needs for my daughter, let alone mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. That led to not having income that led to my home going into foreclosure on the verge of foreclosure. My car was literally repossessed while I sat on the living room couch. Mm. There again were weeks where I had zero dollars deposit into my bank account. So now my mind and my anxiety is like, I can't pay the utility bills. I have no money. I have no food. Uh, here is DHS, the Department of Human Services. So is DHS going to come and remove my daughter oh, from no. my home? You know, and so all that, it was very unfamiliar. It was simultaneously literally happened at the same time. Oh, wow. You know, lacking in these different areas. So that triggered the anxiety oh. and the depression. Was there a precipitating event that caused all of that loss of the jobs and all of that? Yeah, you know, with my job. So I was the program director and there were some changes with the department that I was in. And so that created changes in limits and decreases in funding. Mm -hmm. So I was demoted from a program director position to a fee-for-service therapist. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you who don't know, fee-for-therapist means that you only get paid if your clients show up for therapy oh, session. Shoot. And so the weather is bad. They're not showing up. Oh, they're sick. They're not yeah. showing up. 
they have a conflicting appointment, they're not showing up. Or they're just not committed to therapy. Yeah. They're not showing up. They don't want to so, deal with their stuff. They don't want to show up. Right. Oh, dang it. So that was like, wow. Um, and, and then in addition to that, during that time or prior to that, I was living with my daughter's father. We were engaged. And some things happened where, and that's that piece where I say two incomes went to one income to no income. Mm. And so that kind of ended suddenly. And so on top of the demotion for my job. So it was a lot for me to handle yeah. at one time. Like a perfect storm of a whole bunch of bad stuff happening all at once. Oh, gosh. All at once. And I assume that you were able to keep your daughter in that went OK. Or? Thankfully, yes, I was able to keep my daughter. And, you know, I had to do what I had to do to make ends meet. And so I don't know if people know. I'm sure people know those big water jugs that you have that go inside the water cooler. Oh, yeah. So we had one of those and I would fill it up with any change that I had. Mm-hmm. All the change went in that water cooler. And so what my daughter and I would do is, and she didn't know what was going on. You know, she thought it was just a teachable moment. Uh-huh. And we're going to the supermarket to turn our change in. And uh-huh. that was exciting uh-huh. to her to scoop up all the change and dump it into the coin machine and see how much money we accumulate. Yeah. But for me, I knew that I was in full survivor mode, Whoa. right? Because everything in my life was in jeopardy. Yeah. And I remember, you know, saying to God, how did I get here? I'm not supposed to be here. How did this happen? And so because I was able to at least take our change to the coin machine, I was able to feed her Mm -hmm. and I was able to buy her spaghetti, the spaghetti sauce, the noodles, packs of Kool-Aid. And I don't know if anybody knows, but a potty spaghetti will last you for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was very intentional with selecting that meal because I needed to stretch and not for me, but for her. You know, I can go without, but I needed to make sure that she ate. Yeah. Another thing that we did was flea markets, any Mm -hmm. flea market that was going on, which is so ironic, although I didn't have enough money to buy her new clothes, I needed money. So I would take her clothes and my clothes and sell them Mm -hmm. at outdoor flea markets. Okay. so I had to do that. And there were times where I went out there and I came home with zero dollars still. But I had to take that risk. I had to get out there. Yeah. So I did that. Anything that was free, I tell people if it was free, it was for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thanksgiving, they're giving out free turkeys. Christmas, they're giving out free winter coats. I was there. I was in line with my daughter. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The community is supposed to come around and help people in situations like that. I don't know that we do that great a job of that in America, but it sounds like you had some services. Yes. Organizations trying to help you. So that's good. Yes. So how long were you in this kind of really unstable Mental state and unstable financially. How long did that last? Two long years. Two years. Oof, that's a long Two time. Two years. It, it was a very long time. And I was just looking at a, a picture recently of what I looked like during it. Uh, very different than what I look now. And so, yeah, it, it, it was two long years. And in that moment, it didn't seem like there was light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. In that moment, I couldn't see it getting any better. Yeah. You think this is how it's always going to (laughs) be? Yes. My sister-in-law would say, Tiffany, what you're going through is not for you. It's going to help somebody else. And when I was on the phone with her, I used to want to hang up. Like, Bonnie, what are you talking about? I don't want to hear that. Uh, That's not helping me. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But two years. Wow. And um, a lot of people in that situation would, would, like you said, kind of start to lose hope or grab substances or or do other self-destructive things. They're just like, well, whatever. 
I've lost all this other stuff. Why not just go deeper? Did you succumb to any of those kind of temptations? So not substance abuse, but my mind did get to that point where I lost hope. Yeah. And, and my mindset literally was, I give up. It was just too much to bear for me. And some people may say, oh, well, that's all you went through. That's not a lot. You know, that, that, oh. that, that's not really significant. You know, and in life, we all struggle, right? And yeah. Steve Harvey, I once heard him say, in life, we all struggle. 90% of it is what we go through. The other 10% is how we deal with it. Mm. And I was not able to deal with it in that moment. And, you know, the letters piling up, you owe us the phone calls. We're trying to reach you, which also contributed to the anxiety. I would literally get knots in the pit of my stomach when I saw phone numbers from numbers I didn't know. Yeah. And so, yes, my mindset was I give up. It's too much. You know, I didn't have heat in my home. I would watch my daughter walk around. We would walk around with our coats on. You know, I have a 1,194 square feet home, three bedrooms, two and a half baths, three floors. However, because it was so cold in the house, we were confined to the smallest room in the house. Oh, wow. That was about 110 square feet because... With a space heater, yeah. that room heated up the quickest. Wow, and it gets cold and in so Philadelphia. Oof. It gets cold in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine when you go, you see that hawk yeah. coming out your mouth. Yeah. That's oh, how I was gosh. in a house. So, oh, well, again, I didn't succumb to substance abuse, but my mindset was I give up. You know, I, I literally said my truck was repossessed. Keep it. You know, we'll figure out public transportation. My home was on the verge of foreclosure. Take it. We'll go live in a shelter. You know, I don't have any money to buy food. Forget it. I'll go to all the free places to get meals. And your daughter was like in elementary school during this time? She was. Okay. Yes. Well, what happened to get you out of that? You said it lasted two years. Can you remember the turning point or was there an event that happened that switched your gears or? Yes, it was definitely a turning point. You know, I just remember another winter going by and I'm watching my daughter walk around with her coat on in the house, with her scarf on, with her hat, and with her gloves. And the more I looked at her, the more I had to tap in and remember what a mentor once told me years ago. I was a licensed life insurance agent and I was very, very part time. And I would always say his name was Brian. Brian, I can't do this. I got my daughter. I have this. I have that. I have this going on. You know, I'm in school. And he said to me, he said, Tiffany, when you identify your why, you can do anything you want to do. So he said to me, your why should make you cry. And when I did that back then, I was one of the top six figure earners in that life insurance company. Wow. So. I went back to that statement that he said to me. Uh-huh. And the more I looked at my daughter, I remember that she is my why. Uh-huh. She didn't ask to be here. And then I also had to have a conversation with myself and say, Tiffany, yes, in life, we will all struggles. struggle. What lesson are you teaching your daughter mm-hmm. about how we deal with that struggle? That 10%, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Am I showing her that we stay stuck in this one room? Mm-hmm. Am I going to show her that when a struggle comes, we keep our heads buried under the covers? What am I showing her that we don't at least try and ask for help? Mm-hmm. Am I showing her that we don't resort to act? Like, what am I showing her? Mm-hmm. I'm her example. She's watching me. Mm-hmm. And so with all that, I said, hold on. Let, let me get my let me get myself together. Uh-huh. And so that started with identifying my why. There were five things that I actually did to kind of come out of that and overcome. And the first thing was identifying my why. 
And so when I identify, or I should say in my case, re-identify my Mm -hmm. why, then I was able to shift my mindset. And so my mindset went from I give up to giving up is no longer an option. Okay, nice. The third thing I did was I had to reactivate my faith. And I was born and raised in church. And, you know, as we get of a certain age, like I did as an adolescent and teenager, Mm -hmm. we want to do our own thing and Mm -hmm. party, drink, smoke, and forget about the foundation, forget about the structure. That was me. So I had to reactivate my faith. I had to incorporate prayer and I had to identify a support system, which I had not done because that embarrassment and that shame Uh, that mm -hmm. how did I get here? I'm not supposed to be here. I never opened up my mouth and asked for help. Ah, That shame can keep people down for so much longer than they might otherwise, right? Yes. Yeah, they're afraid to ask for help. I can totally understand that and identify that. So you, you ended up saying, okay, I need to ask for help. I I am at my rock bottom. I need to ask for help, even if I am ashamed, but whatever. I need to ask for help for my daughter. Yes. For my daughter's sake. Wow. That's a lot. Did you have support from the medical community or therapists or anything like that outside or? I didn't. No, I was just going through it all on my own. I thought, you know, I I was, I'm supposed to be stronger than this. I'm supposed to be the head. I'm supposed to, you know, be courageous. I'm supposed to be bold. I'm supposed to be stable. So no, so not even a therapist, someone who didn't know me. I didn't go to anyone. Okay. Was it not kind of what your family did? Like a lot of families aren't into therapy because they're like, oh, we don't need to deal with that outside. We'll deal with it inside. Or was it money? No, you know, I think it was, I think it was more so I'm a therapist. Oh, okay. And, and I know, but therapists have therapists. Yeah, yeah. But back then, my mindset was, I'm a oh, therapist. I'm not supposed to be seeking help from a therapist. Oh, yeah. I see. Ah, so it was a little bit of this doesn't happen to me. Right. <laughs> kind of denial, like, I don't need this because I am a therapist and I don't need therapy. Ah, I understand. So you kind of just shifted your mindset and then did things get better immediately or? Was it a gradual get back on track? That's a really good question. It was a gradual get back on track. But the difference is when I did those five things, identified my why, shifted my mindset, reactivated my faith, prayer, and identified a support system. When I did those five things, it was like prior to that, I was drowning. And, and not to impose my faith on anybody, but I believe in God. Mm-hmm. But it felt like I was drowning, but God revived me and gave me a second win. Nice. Right? And mm-hmm. so in that moment, I literally felt like not only did God give me strength in general, but he gave me strength to go through what I was going through and allowed me to endure. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started to open up my mouth and ask for help. I no longer threw the phone away when those unfamiliar phone mm-hmm. numbers were popping up on my phone. I was answering like, who's this? Oh, mortgage company. I'm so glad you called. Listen, this is my situation. Uh-huh. How can you help me? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's better. Taking kind of control of the situation and asking for help. Very good. Yeah. It's so hard to ask for help. I, I struggle with that myself a lot. So, so then you kind of, got out of that situation? Did you get a new job or is that when you became an entrepreneur at that point? No. So things kind of happen, you know, it's it's interesting the way the universe works and how things are just lined up when you start to ask for help, when you start to put yourself out there. And I think right after that, what happened is after overcoming, I remember what my sister-in-law said, Tiffany, this is to impact or to help someone else. Mm -hmm. 
So I never forgot that. And then I would have dreams after that about me bringing women together to share my story, to share my testimony. And the theme was, you are the CEO of your life. Mm -hmm. You possess the power and the executive authority to make those decisions about your life and for your life. Like I made a decision after some time to get back up and ask for help. I made a decision that I was going to re-identify my why. So I really wanted to bring women together and bring that message to them. However, I said, wait, I don't have a venue. I'm just now getting back on my feet. I'm just now pulling the covers off. I'm just now holding my head up high. How is this going to happen? And God spoke to me in a dream and said, have it right here in the living room of your home. Like the same place where I struggled, the same place that he allowed me to overcome was the same place that he had me bring people to. And that's why my book that's coming out is called From the Struggle to the Stage. So that same struggle that I went to I'm bringing women to this stage, my house, you know, where oh. I can pour into them. And so I sold tickets. Oh. So that brought in some income. I bought tickets from there. And now I'm impacting the lives of women. And that expanded to me being asked to speak at schools, at youth organizations, on international conference calls, on international prayer lines. And so I was able to generate income that way. And simultaneously, yes, I did get a new job. I went from that FIFA therapist position. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you how when we position ourselves and when God just has a way of aligning things to happen. So when I was doing that FIFA service job, there was a new supervisor who came on board. And out of all the other therapists who were in the department, she was there only there for like two months. And she said, I'm about to go to a different company, but I'm going to need an assistant director. And oh, I want you. I've been watching oh, you. Oh, nice. And so that's how that happened. And she kept her word. When she went to that other job, she called me and said, OK, I'm ready for you to come over and be my assistant director. Nice. And that happened. And are you still at that job? I am still at that job, but I'm no longer the assistant director. I'm mean, the program director at that job. Oh, nice. And so, yes. Yeah, so in, in between all of that, I have been working and growing my businesses. Uh-huh. So tell me about all the businesses you have. Okay. So let's say, let's say which ones do I? So I will start with the first one that's by my, my oldest baby, okay. my oldest business baby. And so that was the bringing the women together uh-huh. for the, and now what I call it is called Tea with Tea Ministries. And so that is the ministry side that I do with pouring into other individuals and just kind of sharing my story, my testimony. And so that's T with T Ministries. And from T with T Ministries, I wanted apparel to go along with the, the message of being a CEO of your life, the message of dreaming big. And so I'm very big on positive affirmations. I'm very big on getting up and looking in the mirror. And kind of and speaking over yourself. Mm-hmm. So I wanted apparel where someone could put a hat on and get dressed in the morning. You look at yourself with your hat. And there's a message that says dream big. Uh-huh. You get up and you look in the mirror. You have a shirt on that says something like, I don't need your permission to be great. And I wanted it to be called Be Inspired. You know, and behind that is when people look at you, Beth, they should be inspired. When people listen to you, they should be inspired. When they think about you, they should be inspired. And I believe that's the impact. That's the gift that God gave us to give to other people. So that's why it's called Be Inspired Apparel Brand. And then I also have a coaching and mentorship program called Shift Your Mindset and Dream Big. Nice. Yeah. So you have individual clients that come on Zoom, I guess, right? 
Yes, I do have individual clients who are on Zoom. And so they're based in North Carolina, Florida, New York, here in Philadelphia. So yes, so I do individual coaching and mentorship. And we also have group coaching and mentorship as well. Nice. That sounds amazing. And now your daughter must be a teenager by now. How old is she now? She's 12. 12. Okay. Almost a teenager. How has everything you've gone through affected your parenting or what do you hope you know, to guide your daughter based on what you've all been through? Yeah, you know, again, so yeah, so right, almost a teenager, so she'll actually be 13 in September. Okay, hang on. September 3rd, <laughs> yes. And she, oh my God, we'll have to talk offline. Okay. Too, that's what <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I really just want to, because I'm her example, so I just really want to show up and be the best version of me and, and create and leave a legacy so that she can carry on so that her children's children. And I know some people talk about legacy for 100 and 200 years from now, and I'm talking about 500, 600 years from now. Mm-hmm. I want the legacy to carry on. And, you know, I do understand because I was a teenager myself, you know, while we do the best that we can do as parents, we will sometimes go astray and do our own thing. So I just want to keep showing up and be the best example for her mm-hmm. and, you know, just instill morals and principles for her that she will never forget. Yeah. Because although as an adolescent, I did my own thing with smoking and drinking and partying, I never forgot those morals and those lessons, mm-hmm. that structure mm-hmm. and foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me back to getting on the, the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that foundation is so critical. So even if your kid goes off the rails, if there's an underlying foundation, they know they know how to get back. Right. Whether they do or not immediately is, is a question. But <laughs> if they know there's there's a way home, there's a way back, they know. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that, Beth, I do, because that's how it happened for me and some of my other siblings as well. You know, like you said, it may not happen immediately, but we found our way back. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a really good relationship with your daughter. And that's what I always tell parents, you know, because my son has had a lot of struggles. But the best thing was to have open communication and to be non-judgmental and not flipping out whenever I found out something else he was doing, you know, just being, wow, you must really be in pain for you to have reached for that whatever substance or whatever behavior. So it sounds like you're doing a great job with your daughter. So, and she has a, a mama to watch that's uh, unstoppable. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, and I tried to include her in my business. So oh. she's my assistant. Oh, nice. Oh, she, I bet she's learning all sorts of things. She is, you know, she'll manage, not manage my schedule, but if I have something that needs to go on my whiteboard, she'll write it out for me. So I'm prepared for the next day. Like for now, she was here and she knew I had to do a podcast. She was saying, oh, mom, it's 3.30. Don't forget, you got to get on your podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, good. Yeah, you're doing an excellent job as well to say things like, oh, you must have been feeling X, Y, and Z in order for you to do that. You know, I can appreciate you for saying that, you know, and as a parent, we we have to recognize that we definitely don't want to add to the stressors or add yeah. to whatever is going on that's leading them to turn to, you know, whatever these risky behaviors, for example. Right. Yeah. Screaming at them makes things just way worse. So, or punishing or whatever, it's like figure out what is behind it. What's behind the whole uh, decisions to use whatever substance or behavior. Ah, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say that I haven't asked you about? I was going to say, well, as far as parenting, you know, my parent style of parenting is different from the way I parent. And so I think we're like the same. We have those conversations. We want to check in. We want to explore. We want to know more about what's going on. And growing up, it was just, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And here's the consequences. Yeah. There was really no 
commun- open lines of communication. Mm-hmm. And so um, my parenting styles are very different. So I hear sometimes my siblings like, what's wrong with you? You weren't raised like that. And, you know, but I, I think it's important because to parent the way that I was parenting, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't effective. You know, the, yeah. you didn't get the desired outcome you were looking for. So I, I can appreciate that we're more patient and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a generational thing and this generation, the kids growing up now, I think it's becoming more open, at least for a lot of parents that I talk to, they're becoming more open and less rigid mm-hmm. with, with less rules oriented and more boundaries for sure. But more empathy and and curiosity and compassion. So that sounds really good. Yeah, thank you. You know, and and one other thing I want to say to parents too is I think sometimes as a parent, and I think my mother felt like this as well, when your children are adolescents and teenagers and they go astray. And I know one of my brothers has felt like this. We we take it personal or we feel like it's something that we've done wrong, right? Uh, And that's not always the case. We've done the best that we can do. We provide it. We've instilled, again, that foundation, those Mm -hmm. morals, those values. We've been the best example. However, there's peer pressure. There's their friends. There's social media. There's the news and everything else that's going on in the world world that they want to emulate, that they want to try, that they think is cool. They want to fit in, you know. Mm -hmm. So I really want to stress that to the parents. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, I agree. Don't fall into that guilt trap because that does you no good. It just leaves you struggling with guilt and no one needs to be guilty. The parent doesn't need to be guilty and the kid doesn't need to be guilty. It's just the path that everybody's on. I just saw a meme today that said, uh, you can't judge a parent by how their kids are behaving, but how the parents are behaving. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So our kids are not a reflection of us. Everyone's on their own path. You know, certainly we can guide and have some influence, but Ultimately, everyone's responsible for just one person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's themselves. So, well, you're doing great work out there. I'm going to put all of your links to all of the things on the show notes so everybody can find you. And you don't have to be in Philadelphia to find her. She can be working on Zoom. Thank you very much for being on the podcast and for sharing your story, Tiffany. It's great. You're welcome. Thank you, Beth, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And listeners, you can find Safe Home Podcast on all the social media outlets out there. You can also hear our podcast on YouTube. You can find us on Patreon as well. If you'd like to support us with a small donation every month, five, 10 or $25. And it helps keep our podcast commercial free. And we're also looking for Apple podcast reviews. If you have a moment, Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, go there and find our show and give us a five-star review that will really help other people find us. And make sure and share this episode with anyone you know that struggled financially or struggled with anxiety and depression or any of the parts of Tiffany's story that resonated with you. Please uh, share this episode with them. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Tiffany and I want you to stay Stay safe. safe.